0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 74 of the Strength Through Vulnerability podcast. Let's get into it. What is going on, everybody? Hey, this episode, if you've been looking for something about mindset, about gratitude, about how we can be more successful and achieve more, achieve our goals, this is the one This interview is with Dr. T, a board-certified psychiatrist. He works with a ton of different kinds of patients, but he has this really cool specialty and focus on high-performing athletes, entrepreneurs, business people, and other high-performing individuals. He is full of knowledge, full of wisdom. He's an incredible communicator, and you're just going to love this episode. It's so good. And, uh, you know, before we officially get into it, I also want to apologize for my audio Dr. T's audio sounds fantastic. He clearly did a mic check before the interview. I made the rookie mistake of not doing a mic check before the interview, and my audio is scratchy. I am pretty frustrated with it. When I was going to edit this podcast, I was frustrated and didn't know what I wanted to do with it, didn't know if I wanted to reach back out to Dr. T to try to do the interview again. But here's the thing. We couldn't recreate this awesome conversation. And Dr. T shared so much value That, to me, it's worth putting this out there despite my crappy quality audio. So if you could just bear with the couple minutes that I maybe speak here and there to hear the awesomeness that Dr. T shares, it's going to be well worth your time. So I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to let you listen to this wisdom from Dr. T. He's going to help make your life better. He's going to help you achieve the things that you want to achieve. It's going to be great. Hope you're all looking forward to it because it's coming at you right now. Now, Dr. T, it's so good to be talking to you again, man. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I appreciate you coming on.
1: I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you mind sharing a little bit about what kind of work you do?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a, uh, I'm a board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Um, so I'm a medical doctor. I trained actually at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Um, I have a private practice where I work with kids, adolescents, young adults for a variety of mental health um, vulnerabilities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, stuff like that. Um, I also have a, I'm on the faculty at Johns Hopkins. So I do some teaching with younger residents that are coming up. Uh, I serve on the health committee of one of the local schools in the area and helping implement mental health programs. And then I also have a niche and a specialization in working with elite uh, athletes, first responders, business elite professionals, and implementing mental skills training, um, combining my experience as a Division One athlete with my uh, medical knowledge and my mental health experience, and kind of putting it together. So it's been a, it's been an interesting kind of process combining my experiences throughout my life into what I do today.
0: Mm. Yeah, man. That sound you have a ton going on, and I love that you've been able to implement your experiences into your craft. That's, it's a beautiful thing. And I really want to dive into and focus a lot on your work with elite athletes, with first responders, the, the high level executives and whatnot, because I I think that, you know, something that I've been thinking a lot about is a lot of us have self-limiting beliefs or thoughts and these things that really hold us back from being able to perform at the highest levels. And You being a psychiatrist who works with those who are competing or are just living their lives on the highest level, I thought you'd be the perfect person to talk to about that. So, when it comes to these high level performers that you work with, what kind of, what do they usually come to you for help with? What are they looking for from you?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. So, I, a variety of things, right? So, I've had, uh, athletes that have been referred to me for post-injury um, psychological or psychiatric issues, right? So I've had post-concussion, um, post-surgical repair where something's getting in their way and they're not kind of progressing and the sports medicine doctors and the athletic trainers and the physical therapists that determine be quote-unquote mental. Um, so then they get referred to me. Um I also have a variety of kids who work with me for other mental health issues. Like I said, depression, anxiety, ADHD, they're also high level uh, or competitive athletes. And so as we're working together and addressing whatever the mental health issue is, the athletic piece comes up. And then I've got this group that sort of comes to me specifically for performance. And some of it is performance anxiety and noticing that, you know, in big situations, Um, they tend to freeze up a little bit or that there's a difference between their performance in practice versus play. Um, And they kind of delineate that. Um, There's also kids and athletes that come to me where they're saying, look, I want to get better. There's nothing specifically going on, but I'm doing all the physical work. And I know that there's more. I know that there's a mental component, right? And how do I get into that? What do I do with that? And And so that's really rewarding too, because it's not that they're coming for a quote unquote problem or an issue, if you will, that needs fixing. Really it's, it's this ability of like, Hey, I want to grow. I want to develop myself as an athlete, as a human being. And so I get a lot of athletes that come to me for that. And then also I go to, you know, programs and teams and schools and you know, businesses who are saying, look, we want to incorporate this mindset um, because we're starting to understand more and more about how important the role is of of the mind and and in terms of allowing us to be able to overcome those limiting beliefs and being able to push ourselves and put ourselves in positions to be more confident, more success. And you're the guy, right. Or we've heard you're the guy or like, you know, you know, so what what do you know, how can we do that? And then we sort of will identify what their needs are and what they're looking to do. And then I sort of integrate my knowledge and experience with what they're looking for and create a program for them.
0: I love it, man. It's so interesting. And what I love is it's whether somebody who's listening is in a similar situation as some of these people who come to you, or they're just an ordinary person who maybe just wants to get a little bit better. It's the work that you do is, is important and is helpful to and beneficial to everybody. Um, I, I would love to, you know, this is such a unique practice that you're doing. Did you have experience seeing a psychiatrist when you were an athlete? Did you ever go to a mindset coach, anything like that? Or are you kind of like stepping into this and you you threw yourself into it without having worked with someone before?
1: Yeah. So no, I've never worked with anybody, right? That's what's interesting. Wow. Um, I, I think a lot of people that are in the mental health field or in the mental health space have had personal experience with mental health vulnerabilities themselves, or they've had a Mm. setback or they've had a family member. I've been fortunate enough that, you know, it's not that I haven't been surrounded with anxiety or I've had any have impacted me in that way. Now, that being said, I was a competitive wrestler. I was a division one wrestler. I was an all American in high school. And what I did notice at the time is that there was a clear difference between how I performed in practice versus matches. Right. Mm. And you know, and and my high school coach would say, you know, listen, like you've got everything. And, and my work ethic was there, my determination was there. I was the first one there. I was the last one to leave. I wanted to get the extra practice in. Like, if I had opportunities to work out with the best kids in the room, I would do it. And then I'd get into match situations and I would get in my head and I would kind of freeze up and I would go through this whole like over preparation. To try to get myself ready. And by the time a match Mm. came, I was exhausted, right? And I noticed that it limited me, but I couldn't identify what to do about it. So I would just sort of tell myself these like positive sayings and and these things that we hear. And then I got to college and was fortunate enough to wrestle at the division one level. And again, clear, clear difference between my performance and practice and and in matches. And at that point, my college coach said to me, Look, what's getting in your way? Like you in practice, you're really, you're wrestling at a high level. You're beating these kids in in matches. You're good, but mm. there's clearly a difference. And again, I knew there was a difference, but I couldn't identify. And at the time we had a psychologist that kind of worked with the athletic department, but it really wasn't specific to wrestling. Number one, it really wasn't specific to athletics and they had some experience, but again, try to get a college kid to go see a therapist or a psychologist you know, when there isn't an active problem, if you will, Mm. um, it really wasn't happening. And so, but there was this always this idea of what can I do to get better? And so to be honest, my goal in life, my dream was to become a teacher and a coach, was to coach Mm. people, was to teach people. That's what I wanted to do. And so ultimately I go to medical school, but as I'm figuring out what I want to do, that idea of working with people, teaching, coaching was something that was really, exciting for me and I wanted to do it. And so when I was looking at fields of medicine, one of the things that drew me to psychiatry was this ability to establish relationships, to be able to help help people become better versions of themselves, be able to identify struggles that they were having and also know that everybody's experience is different. So if you really want to be a good coach, you have to learn how to coach different athletes in different ways or different people in different ways. If you want to be a good, you know, boss or an employer or CEO, like you have to look at your audience and figure out how can I get the best out of these kids or out of these employees or whatever. And so that's what drew me to the field. And I knew that this passion to continue to be involved in athletics and to coach was always there. And so ultimately it was a matter of me sort of creating this, you know, sort of profession, if you will, or this specialty out of a need and a necessity that really was lacking. And, and Mm. there are other people that do what I do. I mean, there are other sort of psychologists, there are consultants, there are sports performance coaches, there are life coaches. Um, you know, as the mindset space has gotten bigger, there's a lot of folks that get into it with the intention of really helping people. And so what I do is, is, is similar in some ways, but it's also different because, I've got the athletic experience, I've got the, you know, medical training. So I understand the mind, I understand Mm -hmm. the body, I understand the physiology of of how these things actually impact us, right? I've, I've read the research, I understand kind of the difference between what's chemical and what's environmental and what's, you know, personality and what's behavior. And so being able to put those all together and integrate that into something allows me to be able to go back and to fundamentally help people that are struggling with some of the things things that I did or that things, you know, that I realized, man, if I had that, that would be unbelievable. And so my teammates now from college and even my brother, like they all joke with me, like, where were you when we needed you? I'm like, (laughs) I needed me too. Like there wasn't a lot of me. And so again, it's this thing of like, you can either complain about it or you can step up and and figure out how to be the person to do that. And I had the unique opportunity, again, given my experiences and my knowledge and my training to have the the knowledge, the experience and the credibility, frankly, to be able to step into that role and be able to offer a service that other people would listen to, but also understand, wow, he gets the mind, he gets the body. And he's also been there, like he's done the work. And so Mm -hmm. by doing those things, again, I think that relationship and that bond and that credibility is so key. And so athletes and parents and coaches and administrators and sports medicine professionals, they understand where I'm coming from. And so it can be that much more impactful, right? Because because I've done the work and I've got the sort of, to some extent, the degree to prove it.
0: There is so much in there, so much good stuff. One thing that I wanted to highlight at first was that there's you just embody this like entrepreneurial spirit in the sense of you're providing the service that you wish that you had had, right? And which you clearly stated. There's another thing that you said that I really value, and it was that your desire to be a teacher and a coach. A lot of that has to do with, or a piece of that is the relationship building, and I'm with you on that, and I'm particularly passionate about that as well because my uh, both my parents are in the medical field. And my father, he's been a healthcare executive. So he's not a doctor, but he's worked in the healthcare field for 30 years. And one of the things that he's really, really passionate about is he calls it relationship centered care and and really getting to know the patient because everybody is so different. There is no such thing as an average patient or an average person. And by really getting to know a patient, you get to best serve them. And so you being in your position, doing all the unique, interesting, super cool stuff that you do with your passion to build the relationships, to be able to get to know these kids and these professionals better. That just, that makes me pumped up. I I love that. I love that for you. And, um, it has me interested when you work. So you work in group settings, I believe you might have even explicitly said that maybe not yet, but, um, I think you work in group settings and then also with individuals, I would love to know how much time do you typically spend on a session in an individual environment.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So when it comes to like the the mindset training, if you will, so hmm. I've created a mental skills training program that's very specific. Um, it kind of models a strength and conditioning program. So if you've ever worked with like a personal trainer, right, it's like the difference between going to a group fitness class versus working with an individual personal trainer. And so you identify what your, what your needs are, what you want to improve on what your strengths are, what some of your deficits are, and then sort of you create you know, a program with that person. And and so with my individual work, that's what I do. And, and the, as far as time and how it's set up, there's an initial appointment, which is an hour and a half. It's 90 minutes. And, you know, in that appointment, I do an extensive psychiatric history, medical history, developmental history. I get the family history involved where the parents, athletes, Um, How competitive were they? Are they still competing? Where where their uh, views are as far as their goals in line, you know, Mm -hmm. for their child um, or their athlete, you know, assuming it's a young athlete. And then, you know, meeting with the athlete themselves and really, again, tapping into not only athletically what they're looking for and experiencing, but also outside of athletics, because I think these things parallel each other. And oftentimes. If you're so focused on the sport itself, you're not really getting a sense of how they process information and how they think about their world, right? And mm. and the other thing to it's important to understand is that you know they're an athlete, but they're a human being first, right? Or they're an athlete, but they're a student also. And so in order for them to be successful at one, there sort of has to be some sense of balance at times. It doesn't mean everything is everything has the same amount or the same percentage um, of effort, but there's this sense of balance because if they're so tied into one thing then that's going to limit them. So again, identifying them in the context of their sport, as well as their overall experience and their family experience and, you know, their previous experiences. So that's, and then we put it together and figure out what they need. So that's ninety minutes, and then my additional sessions after them are about an hour, right? And so within mm-hmm. those sessions, we work on specific skills that I've identified that I want to work on, things that they come to, you know, the session with, things that they're struggling with a little bit, and so we work on those things. But again, everything is very specific, and and the thing that I do, which again I think is somewhat different um, from what. I think some other providers do. And at least what athletes have told me is instead of saying, hey, do this instead of like, hey, believe in yourself and you can achieve it or just be confident or get tough. Right. Like we talk about like medically and biologically what's happening there. Right. Like how does Mm -hmm. the brain process information like why are we struggling? And then we sort of identify psychologically things that we can do. So how do we do those things? And then what do we do? And then, you know, implementing why is it important and then implementing an actual plan. And so we work on the plan in the session, right? Or in the meeting. Um, and so it's, again, like a trainer, instead of just showing you an exercise and then saying, Hey, go home and do, you know, three sets of 10. No, like, I'm going to show you the exercise. We're going to go, we're going to go over your form. We're going to critique why it's important to do it this way and how to do it and, and tying in, you know, the physiological aspect, right? You're like, you're not just pushing a barbell up and down. Like you have to breathe a certain way. You have to hold it a certain way. Like your hand, like the way your hand holds it, the way you're like, all these things go into making that experience, much more efficient and effective and to build that strength right so i do that from a mental standpoint so it takes time but ultimately what we're looking at is that 90 minutes at first and then these hour-long sessions more often not because you could do this indefinitely right like you could go on and just there's always stuff to improve on Mm. but within the program it's set up where it's a total of six sessions so one one initial session then five additional and then most athletes afterwards say, Hey, listen, Dr. T, can I come back in like a month or can I come back in two months? Um, a lot of them say, Hey, I got it. I'm good. And then like six months later, they're like, Hey, so, uh, can I come back in? Cause I'm struggling (laughs) a little bit. And Mm. which is cool because then they know that I'm a resource and they know that I'm available. So that's the time in the office. Now, Mm. the other thing is I think I'm, I'm like the coaches that I've had, that have been the most valuable to me are the ones where i say coach can i get some extra work in and they'll open up the wrestling room for me or they'll be like absolutely right so i'm available to to these athletes in that context as well as that they know they can access me because i think it's important especially when it comes to mental health and when it comes to athletics is that if an athlete wants to advocate and wants to improve then i need to reward that right i need to show them that if you if you're going to put in the work you're going to be rewarded and so if i don't respond to them then I'm not, then I'm not doing what I'm saying. So athletes have the ability. So in that sense, man, I can't tell you how much time it takes. Sometimes I'm on the phone over the weekend and I'm texting back and forth. And sometimes, you know, I might go, wow, but, but the outcome is so much more rewarding. And, the, mm. you know, like on the other, on the, on the other end, you know, when you've got people that are, you know, hitting game winning buzzer beaters and they're like, this is because of you. And I know it's not <laughs> because of me, it's because of them, but I help them see that. Like, mm. I can't put a price on, I can't put a time limit on that. Right. Yeah. And that's incredible. And that's happened. So
0: that's so cool. I I love to hear that you're investing so much time. And it's I think for every person listening, it's very clear that your heart is in this man, and you so care about the people that you're working with, which brings joy to my heart. I love that. Um, and you know, it, it's something that I, I look back and I'm like, man, I so wish that I had this. When just like your your brother and your friends or your, your past teammates have said too. Because I think so many people, be it in sports, which was the situation for me, but also for like, drama, public speaking, whatever, anything, they can be held back. Their potential is held back by some mental boundaries. And so for you to be able to work through those with with these kids and also adults, that's just incredible. And one thing that I really love that you said is that I think it was during the initial session, or I guess actually you said going forward, when you're talking about different exercises that you're going to do with your clients with your patients um, and how you take the time to explain the neurological, biological aspects of it. Like what is your body doing? I think that that is so important because to your point, it's not as easy as somebody just saying, suck it up, man up, just push past it. When I went and sought out help from a psychiatrist and found out that I had OCD and I was really struggling with my anxiety It was when the psychiatrist explained to me, you know, that, that classic saber tooth tiger example that they give you about anxiety when they start, when he explained it to me like that, and was talking about why things were happening in my brain, the way they were, it was initially, it was immediately tangible. It was like, there was an understanding that let me take action on it. Whereas when you're doing something you don't really know why, like you don't know why you're doing squats, for example that you're going to be less consistent, you're not going to want to go through with it. But you giving them that background is so important. I love that.
1: Well, it's also I mean, the other thing is there's a certain respect, right? If I'm going to expect you or want you to do something, I need to explain why. To mm. me to just say, because I said so, or because I'm your coach, or because your parent, that to some extent is insulting. And it also does not take into account the fact that you have the ability within yourself to do some of these things. It's about showing you why it's important and how it works. And once you understand also the biological mechanism and what you're doing, right. And, and when they give you that example, right, what they're showing you is the fact that anxiety is a deep rooted biological mechanism that we have that's protective, but sometimes, right. It flares up and it starts to, you know, almost like short circuit, right. Mm-hmm. Or it's just constantly on. And and so now we have this misperception of this fear or this danger. That's not absolutely there. Right. And so, mm-hmm. But once you can understand, wait a second. So number one, this doesn't mean I'm crazy. It means that this is an actual biological component of how my brain works, which is the same as other people's brains. However, the problem is right now that it's not working the way that it should be. It's not working as effectively efficiently, but this is what I can do. I think number one, it's incredibly empowering. It also helps you understand that later on, when you need to tap into these things, you've got that why. And we always talk about in business and in life, like you need to know your why, right? Like Mm. you need to know why you're doing something. so again Mm -hmm. like we tell a lot of coaches or parents say because i said so or just run harder run faster for what point like tell me why like tell me why right and then if you understand well this is what you're doing and this is what you're learning then it's sustainable right and i think Mm -hmm. that's incredibly important the other thing is you build resilience right we always talk about mental toughness and you need to get tougher and you said it earlier right you just need to man up you know work harder well here's the thing that's great but how how and Mm -hmm. why right like how, does it just mean I run faster? Does it mean I just do more reps? Not necessarily. It means that, you know, there's this whole aspect to our experience that we could tap into and that's the mental aspect. Mm. And so to be able to teach somebody how to get more control over the way their mind thinks and to be able to work with it is incredibly, incredibly rewarding. And it's so powerful because if you can tap into your mind, imagine what else you can do, right? Like I always joke, it's not a joke, I believe it, but I say like, listen, the brain is the most powerful muscle in the the body right like it's the head is the most important part of your body because if it doesn't work well it really doesn't matter what anything else is doing right Mm. so what i'm doing is trying to help them understand how their brain actually works and and i do it in a language that's understandable right i'm not talking to a a 16 year old in medical textbook terms right but Mm. i'm talking in a way that where they can actually understand it and i think that it helps them be able to you know again do the skills more effectively and efficiently and be able to even stick through them when it seems like things are hard. And so having that context and that background, like you described, is so incredibly important. It also shows a respect for the person you're working with, because Mm -hmm. if I'm going to work with you, I need to trust that you're capable of understanding and learning. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to explain it to you that way. So you can. And once you do that, then it's like, again, I'm empowering you to be a better version of yourself. It's not because I said so. It's because you're doing it. Um, and I believe you can do it. I just need to show you how to do it. And I don't think enough people show, we just tell, we do a lot of like, do this, do that. But that's only effective to a point. And once you explain it and you show it and you're able to kind of help them understand, then you can get way more control of your body and your brain. And that's incredibly powerful.
0: Mm, Completely agree. And as you're, as you're explaining all of this, it kind of has me thinking about the light at the end of the tunnel analogy where like, I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know if it's actually true, but there's like some quotes that float around on Facebook and Instagram sometimes that are essentially saying something like most people quit right before they're going to succeed. And obviously what would change that for many people is if they saw that light at the end of the tunnel, if they realized that that light, that success was right there, then they would keep grinding. And so when it comes to these drills, these exercises that you're having these people do, when you're explaining to them, maybe it's something super simple and it seems dumb maybe. Not to, don't offend your work, but maybe they're just like, why the heck should I be doing this? When you explain and you provide that background, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel in the sense of they can see how that exercise is gonna propel them forward and help them be a better performer.
1: And you may not find it immediately, Mm. but if you keep looking and you keep doing the right things and you go back to that process, you're always going to find it. And that's what keeps you going, right? And that's those people that just say, man, just one more step. Just keep running, right? Just one more rep because you know if you do that, you're that much closer because you know how to look for it and you believe it's there versus just saying, trust me, it's there. Trust Mm -hmm. me, it's there. Well, if I trust you and I keep running and I don't see it, then how long can I trust you for, right? Mm -hmm. But if I start being able to look for it, then I don't need you to always tell me and I don't always need to rely on you to tell me it's there. I can now motivate myself and say, hey, trust yourself. It's there. Just keep looking just keep mm. looking. And when you look, it's like, man, you find it. So I, I also give this analogy to athletes. I think you'll appreciate this. It's like, you know, those people that always seem to find four leaf clovers. Like they find, like they always find them. And you're like, man, these people are so lucky. And I was like, well, listen, why do you think they keep finding them? And they're like, I don't know. They keep looking for him. I'm like, exactly. Mm. Because they keep looking. I said, most of us, we look down and we see a clover patch. We look down for two seconds. We don't see a four leaf clover. We're like, must not be in there. And then we walk along. Right. And then other people seem to find like dozens of them and they're handing them out to their friends. Right. And we're like, man, you're so lucky. How do you find them? They're looking for them. They continue Mm. to look and look and look and they find, and now they know where to look because the more they look and the more they find them, the more they believe that number one, it's there. And I can keep looking and I know how to look. Right. And Mm. so that ability to do that, then you can find as many four leaf clovers as you need. And whenever you need them, you have them and you can use them for yourself. You can use them for your friends. So I think that analogy is one that a lot of people are like, oh, you're right. You know, I got it. Everybody has a friend who always seems to find four-leaf clovers, mm. right? And that's because they're looking for them. So why can't we show each other how to look for them? And, and our four-leaf clover could be our light at the end of the tunnel. It could be the fact that we n- believe in ourselves, that we can be successful. Whatever it is, that quote-unquote luck, mm. you can create. Opportunities to be lucky, and you can learn how to do that. So that's what I really try to teach. Instead of just saying believe it or just using sayings, I really try to show them how to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because once you know how to do it, you can do it.
0: I got chills when you said that metaphor, man. That was that was awesome. You're spitting out facts right now, and it's it's amazing. I think that you're bringing so much value to the people listening. And uh, you know, I want to go back to something that you said earlier that was super important and uh, you know you do so much that's incredibly valuable and you're changing lives and you're helping people to get better helping them to see what they can achieve and uh, amidst all that while you're getting to know the people that you're working with your patients you're looking into you mentioned earlier you're looking into their background their how they identify and what what their interests are of course and it has me thinking about how we actually came in contact was, which was through somebody who's been on this podcast before it was Tom McShee. He mentioned that you spoke with Kathy Hurst from the Hayden Hurst family foundation. And it just makes me think of how Hayden, you know, he was drafted as a, a major league baseball player. He started struggling with this thing that I think mostly golfers and baseball players called the yips and essentially ruined his baseball career. And he had so much of his identity found in in baseball in his in his um, athletic talent that that started to lead him towards his future suicide attempt I just want to comment that the fact that you take the time to really get to know these these kids or these adults whoever your patient is is so powerful because you play a role in helping them to not go down that path and I think that that's just so uh, something so relevant now because, there's data coming out and obviously we need more time to analyze it, but there's people are saying that they think suicide rates are going up during COVID. The data through 2019 is scary as hell about suicide rates. And of course, 2019, that's pre COVID. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for all the work that you do in in that sense. And, um, also have you, I don't know if this is an appropriate question to ask have you have you worked with people who you've who you've seen kind of going down that road too
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i mean i think like you said you see the data and you see the numbers which by the way the data and the numbers only tell part of the story right like those are the mm. people actually saying how they feel are actually coming to treatment i think True. there's so many other people that have these thoughts or these experiences at times right and and the other thing is it's important to understand is you know part of the human experience is experiencing life and also questioning life. Right. And there are times where we have setbacks or we have challenges that really start to get us to, you know, think about like, is is this really worth it or why do I want to be, or even questioning yourself. And so, you know, the example you brought up about Hayden was, you know, an individual that had all this talent that was very successful, but his identity and everything was kind of wrapped up and his path Mm. of success was through baseball. And so, through a series of multiple setbacks, you know, you start to question like, what am I going to do and, and, and everything. And so, um, you know, that's part of the human experience and it's a scary part of it. Right. And there's so Mm -hmm. many amazing things that we as human beings can experience, but it's not without risk. And so absolutely there's a lot of athletes that I work with who have either had experiences like that or do have them. And the reason I ask about all that stuff is because I want to be alert and aware that number one, this is more than just an athlete. This is a person with a family history, with a biological history. You know, there are all these things that kind of factor into their ability to process information and how they're potentially going to deal with setbacks and things like that. And it's important for me to recognize them. So I'm aware, not so I need to like get scared about it, but just so I can understand that, like, okay, this is a person that potentially has some of these vulnerabilities and these risks. I need to take that into consideration to be able to allow them to become stronger. Right. And if we ignore those things or we don't ask about them, then, and we pretend they're not there, then what really happens when you have a significant setback. Right. And, and then, and then how do you manage it? Right. And we know more and more that um, you know, the risks are going up. Certainly with environmental stressors like COVID, they go up. We know more and more that there's a biological component. And Mm -hmm. so when you learn about these things, you ask about these things, I think you have a better sense. I mean, think about an athlete is, you know, you talked about baseball and Hayden Hurst. Like if you know somebody is a lefty or somebody has, you know, a certain style of throwing, that could be something that's very valuable, right? You take that into consideration, right? In terms Mm -hmm. of like what position you put them in or how they stand or how they hit. It also means you need to take into consideration that they may have certain, you know, things that they're not going to be as strong at, right? They're going to hit it in one direction, but you don't necessarily want to hit them. So how do you adjust to that athlete based on what their experience is? And I think there's a similar way of understanding the biology and the chemistry that comes with it allows me to be in a position where I think I can bring, again, a medical perspective, a psychological perspective, an athletic perspective, and be able to understand that this person is more complicated than just a ball player, right they're a person mm. they have feelings they have experiences all that stuff is incredibly valuable and it's important for me to identify it so i can help with it when it comes up and then i can help alleviate their fears because i think there's it's got to be pretty scary for somebody to be going through life have a setback and all of a sudden have these thoughts of i want to die right mm. and and people don't want to touch it but yeah. if you feel comfortable and you've asked about it and you know it then it's like wait a second you can help alleviate that fear you can help sort of establish that this doesn't mean that they're crazy it doesn't mean that they're going to die it doesn't mean something's wrong with them this is this is what our brains do and right you talked about is that psychiatrist kind of explained to you how your brain processes and the saber-tooth tired anxiety it's about hey this is how our brains process information sometimes and they overvalue certain ideas and they get in these situations so let's work with it let's identify it like let's address it so that we can become stronger versus saying like, Oh, my goodness, like, you're not thinking about that, are you like, you're, not, you know, or, or oh, now you have to go see somebody else. So um mm. I also think the benefit of working with a psychiatrist is, if that comes up, we address it as part of the treatment, we don't need to stop and then send, you know, the athlete to a medical professional because they're mm. working with one. Mm.
0: Amen. Again, you've, you've said so much good stuff in there. And, you know, It has me thinking about my experiences with OCD. Big part of that is intrusive thoughts. And so, you know, there's, I've seen data before percentages could be higher than this, but I saw like 80% of people have intrusive thoughts and, and for the listeners out there, it's basically intrusive thought means like a really uncomfortable thought, like the thought of you wanting to die, just kind of pops into your head. And it's something that's very natural for people to have pop into their head, but then when you have OCD or you find yourself in a situation like Hayden uh, found himself in, then your brain is more likely to latch onto those thoughts. So I think that normalizing those conversations, the work that you do to normal allow people to know that this is part of what your brain does, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, is so so important. And I also want to provide a little bit of hope for the people who are listening who are maybe in a difficult period of time in their life, like many people are Hayden Hurst, he got, you know, he, he had his suicide attempt, um, which is terribly sad. He luckily survived and now he's the starting tight end for the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL. So, I mean, to go back, if you're having thoughts like that, it's not abnormal. You don't necessarily have something like inherently wrong with you by any means. And there is hope. And you can become better through it.
1: And I think that also a guy like Hayden through that experience has allowed, wow, like this is like I need to talk about this. Like, I need to, I need to share these experiences. And so what happens, I think, when you feel like that, you feel really alone, right? Like you feel like, and so by talking about it, and then other people talking about right now, Hayden Hurst and Dak Prescott talked about it, right? Mm, And then other athletes, right? And so by putting it out there and, you know, sharing not only our quote unquote successes, but also our setbacks, then we as human beings can appreciate that we all have these vulnerabilities we all have these experiences. And it's not like one out of six, it's like six out of six, but there's variabilities. And like you said, 80% of people have intrusive thoughts. Honestly, it's probably a hundred percent of us at <laughs> some point or another, will get stuck on something, right? Mm-hmm. And the difference of what qualifies as an OCD or what qualifies as an intrusive thought or what qualifies it as just an annoying thought, Mm. right, can be variable depending on the situation. But the point is that if you're a human being and you have a brain, right, there are going to be times where a thought pops in your head and it's uncomfortable and sometimes it becomes overvalued. So instead of saying, well, I don't have this or I don't have that, why don't we appreciate the fact that we're all collectively, you know, in this together, but we have different experiences. Some of us need more help than others, but by talking about it, by putting it out there, his biggest weakness became one of his biggest strengths and now he's mm. incredibly valued and and seen as one of the strongest athletes right because of a setback um i only wish he was still playing with the ravens but that's a whole other <laughs> po- po- podcast for another time but yeah absolutely
0: that's right you're in baltimore right
1: yes sir yes sir
0: oh man yeah that's a tough loss but you guys still have a couple good tight ends down there so that's good um yeah i completely agree Hayden is a living, breathing example of the title of this podcast, Strength Your Vulnerability. It's taking that weakness, taking that human aspect of yourself and sharing it in the right context with people in order to, in his case and in the case of this podcast, at times save lives to to help better lives. And, uh, And of course, I just appreciate all that your time and coming on this show to be a part of that, but then also all the work that you're doing, of course, outside of this podcast and on your own podcast as well. And, uh, you know, Dr. T, I would love, as we're beginning to wind down, I I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would love to hear, you know, for those out there, like myself, like probably every listener who just wants to get better at at business, in, in relationships, at being a public speaker, whatever it is, do you have like three... Things that people could walk away with, tangible exercises that could help them to become a better performer.
1: Yeah, no, so I think I think one thing that I think is incredibly important um is this idea of having specific areas of focus, right? So whether it's setting goals and writing them down. And when I talk about goals, I don't mean I want to make a million dollars, I want to be the best. You know, football player, I mean, specific action oriented things on what you're going to do and really focusing on the process. I'm really big on the process. So I think mm-hmm. that, and they've done studies about why goal setting is so effective, but also why it's done so ineffectively. And we're recording this right now, the first week of January, right? When wes- resolutions come out mm-hmm. and then typically percent of them fail by February. The reason is there's not a plan. I think when you have a plan, and it's written down and you share it with other people and you discuss it it becomes more real it becomes more tangible and when you're struggling you can go back to it because it's written there right mm. and it also activates the learning process by writing it down and discussing it so i think having it could be specific goals it could be you know buckets sometimes we talk about having a personal bucket a a, a work bucket a fitness bucket right and and each day doing something over the holiday break, I started determining, you know, each day I was going to do one thing for my mind, one thing for my body and one thing for my family. Right. Mm. And, and that took a different thing. And so as the day, each day I could evaluate and say, you know what, this is what I did today for this, this, and this, I think that's incredibly important. I use this concept of reframing all the time is this idea that we, you know, we define words and circumstances based on the meanings that they have that we believe they have, but I'm a big believer that we get to choose. Right. So the word fail, which a lot of people determine is this really kind of negative critical thing, F-A-I-L. I've redefined that as first attempt in learning. F-A-I-L mm-hmm. is first attempt in learning. So when we have a setback or a quote unquote failure, which could be a poor grade on a test, which would be not making the team, which could be having a bad day at work, hitting a red light on the way home, right? <laughs> Whatever it is, right, is this idea that we get to choose and reframe that and look at that as a learning opportunity, Right. I think that's incredibly important and that's something that actively takes intentional practice because again, we're so prone to look at the negativity and the critical aspect. Um, And there's studies that show that negativity is seven times more powerful than positivity, right? So we can't just say, feel better, believe in yourself, Mm -hmm. be great, have a great day. Like, those are nice, but actively choosing to like, look for your four leaf clovers, right? Look for your light at the tunnel is choosing how we read how we define these experiences and redefining them, right? I think that takes a lot of active attention, but it's almost really fun because you start to look at situations and you see how other people define them. And you're like, this isn't an obstacle. It's a challenge. This isn't a failure. It's an attempt in learning. Like, And you start to kind of develop that. Um, the other big thing I would say is gratitude is incredibly important. We talk a lot about gratitude. We talk a lot about people that are grateful or, you know, 25% or 50% more successful than people that aren't grateful. Um, one thing that I'll share with you, which, which I shared with a lot of people is, so my wife and I have a gratitude challenge at the end of the night. So Mm. before we go to bed, she says, what was your thing? And I said, what was your thing? And we each say one thing that we're grateful for that day. And I don't mean like, we're happy that we're together. We're happy that, you know, we're healthy. Like those things are great, but it's actively what happened today that you are grateful for that you're appreciative of. Right now, Tommy, I'm an athlete, right? I work with athletes, so I'm a competitive guy. So I want to win the gratitude challenge Mm -hmm. every night. I want to win, which means when I go through my day, I look for things that are going to beat her. Right. Mm -hmm. So Something happens. and I'm like, this is a great thing. This is going to be my thing. But I'm like, hold on a second. And then something else happens. And then I look for that thing and then something else. So by the time I get through the day, I've had all these, quote unquote, successes that I'm grateful for and appreciative of that I'm going to win the competition, right? And then we talk about it, right? Well, this happened. We usually we talk about one thing, but I, because I'm looking for all these positive things, I'm more likely to overlook or put less emphasis on the negative things. And that's how I overcome that idea that like negativity carries seven times more value is you have to look for the positive things. You have to be appreciative. And so I think those three things to me really are about you know, attitude, effort, and gratitude, right? The attitude is that reframing. Like, how do we think about things? What's our attitude? The effort is that focus and that intentional, like everything you do is an intentional. Is there an area of focus? And the gratitude, and I think if you put attitude, effort, and gratitude, like you can't lose because you're constantly betting on yourself. And these Mm -hmm. are things that I do in my own life. And these are things that I teach other people. And again, going back to the whole thing we talked about at the beginning, if I'm going to tell somebody to do it, I got to do it, right? Mm. And if I'm going to teach them, I got to show them. And otherwise, I'm just like spouting off a bunch of like motivational statements that look great on t-shirts and posters and, you know, but they're not impactful because there isn't a why and an explanation behind them, right? Mm. And so those are three things that I think anyone can do in mm. any circumstance and, and they can be incredibly, incredibly powerful.
0: I love it, Dr. T. There. There's way too much. I'm going to use the word, the term hollowness in in the world on social media where they're throwing out these quotes and have nothing to back it up. And I just so stand behind what you just said. I'm going to, I can't wait. one of my favorite parts about running a podcast, I don't know about you, if you do the editing for your own, but um, I do the editing and I love just listening back to it because I just get a ton of nuggets of wisdom again and again, you know, and I can't wait to, I'm going to listen to this again right after this podcast. I'm going to listen to it again when I'm editing it more. And I'm just, I'm going to go back and take massive notes on what you just said. And I hope that all the listeners are going to as well, because like you said, they're simple exercises, different frameworks that we can use in order to to better ourselves and and be better performers, but really just live better. And uh, and I'm very grateful for, there we go. I would probably win the gratitude award for how grateful I am for what you just said. But, uh, <laughs> um, Darcy, again, thank you for saying all of that. I've been doing, I've been asking a few questions as I've wrapped up each podcast lately. And if you're ready to go, I'm ready to throw them at you. Yeah, man, let's go. All right. Number one, if you could leave the listeners with, you know, they're going to walk away with a lot more than one thing, but if you were going to leave them with one message from this episode today, what would that be?
1: I think just appreciate what you have, embrace your experience, embrace the setbacks too. So I talk about embrace the suck a lot too, right? And that's that gratitude. So embrace the suck, be appreciative, look for opportunities to be grateful. I think that's incredibly important.
0: I love it. Number two, and you've exemplified vulnerability in 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 a couple ways, in a lot of ways on this podcast. One from sharing your story, two from even coming on the podcast because it's a vulnerable, scary thing to do at times. Um, even though you host your own, it's still intimidating being a guest how would you define vulnerability in your own words
1: yeah man so i have a quote athletes are that i've come up with that i've used Mm. athletes and it's respect it's involved with athletes but it could be anybody right but it's athletes are expected to be strong and tough right Mm. and being strong means accepting that there's a problem being tough means asking for help and i think that to me Mm. exemplifies vulnerability and and how to be strong and through vulnerability
0: Beautiful, man. I love it. I love it. And Dr. T, the last question for you is I'm a huge food guy. And you, as an athlete, as a medical doctor, I want to hear what is your favorite food?
1: <laughs> Listen, man, I'm a Baltimore guy. I'm a Maryland guy. So it's always going to be either hot steam crabs or crab cakes, um, but like from Maryland, not from other places.
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. It's so good. I'm unfortunately allergic to shellfish, but I have a buddy who went down who lives in Baltimore. And when I visited him, there was crab everywhere and it looks amazing. I wish I could have tried it, but that's a great answer. I love it. Dr. T again, thank you for coming on. Can you please share where people can find out more about your podcast and all the awesome work that you're doing and the content you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate it. So my podcast is called the mindset experience, the mindset experience. It's on all um, platforms, podcast platforms, and it's about tapping into the mindset of people, how they've overcome setbacks and become successful. Um, so definitely encourage people to check that out. My website is mindsettraininginstitute.com, mindsettraininginstitute.com. And I also have an Instagram presence, Dr. T underscore sports psych. And I put motivational stuff up there and also put myself working out and doing challenges and help. When people know that, look, if I'm going to help you be uncomfortable, I'm going to be uncomfortable right there with you. So you can follow me on Instagram. You can check out my podcast, definitely my website. If anybody has any questions, you can email me through my website as well. um, And I'd be happy to help and work with anybody that wants to be a better version of themselves and learn more about uh, how the mind and the body can work together.
0: I love it. Thank you for sharing all that. Listeners, please check out all the awesome stuff he's doing. He's putting out some amazing work and he does amazing work all the time. So Dr. T, I just want to say again, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on and and getting to learn from you. And you're just a real dude. You're a real guy. And it's been very easy talking to you. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Man, this episode was so much fun. I had a great time talking to Dr. T. He shared so much wisdom, so much value with all of us. So let's take away the awesome things that he he shared with us and use them to make our lives better, to just live a life of more gratitude, of more fulfillment, of being able to achieve the goals that we set out before ourselves. You know, he shared so many good tools and tips and tactics in here that are so helpful. Like, let's all before going to bed, have a gratitude competition with somebody, whether it's our spouse, roommate, ourselves. We we write maybe write down every single night the thing that you're most grateful for that day and try to compete with yourself day in day out. I don't know. Let's take that away though. I think that that's so good. He shared so much. Um definitely go and check out his podcast, go and check out his website to learn more about all the cool work that he's doing. He's he's the man. He really is. So Definitely go and support him. If you feel like supporting this show, if you enjoyed this show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton with people finding the show but also making the show look more legit. So if you believe that this show is legit and valuable, please do that. That's really, really helpful. And share this with anybody who you think it would help better or anybody that you think it would uh, be entertaining to, you know? Part of this podcast is the entertainment factor. Hopefully that you actually enjoy listening to the content that I'm putting out here. But also it's it's all about helping people, you know? So anybody who you think that this would help, that anybody that you think that this would add value to their life or help them to live a better life, please share with them. You all are amazing. I appreciate you so much, and I hope that you have an amazing rest of your day, no matter what day of the week it is. This is coming out on a Saturday, so have a great weekend if you're listening to it on Saturday. If you're not, enjoy whatever day it is. Y'all rock. Y'all take care.